Hi, my name is Margaret. Uh, the second Bible reading is Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thanks, Margaret. It would be good if you could uh, keep your Bible open as we, uh, as we work through it. And if you're a note taker, you'll find there's an outline in the, uh, in the handout, which might also be helpful for you. But as we begin, I'm going to pray, so please um, pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, your word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And may you be at work through it now, moulding and shaping us into the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that I love about kids is their ability to boast in almost anything. Uh, my friend has a son who regularly boasts that he's the fastest runner in the world, despite the fact that he's only two and has stubby little legs that he can barely use. But kids love to boast. Another young boy I know of regularly boasts that he's the strongest person in their family, and he's only four. Though uh, knowing the dad, maybe that might be true, but kids love to boast. And then, of course, there's the uh, classic line that kids boast about, my dad could beat up your dad. Uh, do you remember boasting that as a kid? It's a way of kind of flexing your muscles to say that your dad is the strongest and the toughest dad there is. Though, of course, for Levi, that will be true, of course. Uh, but kids love to boast. Uh, this was also always clear to me when I was a school teacher, so I taught woodwork. Uh, so I mostly had boys who, was, who were doing my subject. And uh, teenage boys can boast about anything. They'd boast they're the toughest or the tallest, the heaviest or the fastest, the biggest hands or the most incoming beard fluff. You name it, they could boast about it. Kids love to boast. But of course, it's not just kids. Us adults can boast too. And I'm sure we can all think of people we've met who were big boasters. Maybe that person at work that always brags that their work is the best Maybe it's that sibling who always has to remind you about that time they did something better than you. Or the sportsman on TV that always wants to claim that they're the best there is. We all know boasters. But the thing about us as Aussies is we actually hate boasters. We hate boasting. We hate people who talk themselves up. We have our tall poppy syndrome. That's why we want to cut down anyone who goes up above the crowd. And so that's why we want people to be humble, even when they're good at things. 
Uh, in particular, that's, I think that's part of why we love Ash Barty so much, because she's so humble, despite being so good at tennis. See, as Aussies, we don't like boasters. But did you know that as Christians, we should boast? As Christians, we should be big boasters. Did you know that? We should boast even more than kids do. Uh, We should boast even more than that colleague at work. We should boast even more than that famous sportsman. We should dwarf them in our boasting ability. And in our passage today, Galatians 6, Paul teaches us how to boast, how to be a better boaster. And it's clear that this is a really important thing for him because as the letter ends, he picks up the pen himself, verse 11. Up to this point, he's likely been using a dictating to a scribe, but at this final point, he picks up the pen himself and he says, look what big letters these are. In a sense, he, it's the equivalent of typing in caps lock with underlined, italicized, size 45 font. In other words, he's saying, listen up. If you haven't got anything else from this letter, make sure you get what I'm about to say now. That's what he's saying. And what is it that he wants us to get? Well, it's how to be a better boaster. And he gives them and he gives us two tips for how to do that. Uh, The first is this, boast less in yourself and your actions. As he ends, he comes back to these Judaizers. So remember, as we heard in the kids' talk, they were telling the Galatians that Jesus is good, but you also need circumcision and the law. They wanted Jesus plus. And these guys were all about boasting in themselves and their actions, in outward things. And in verse 12, we actually get a glimpse for their motive in doing that. Did you see what it was? Have a look at verse 12 with me. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. They're trying to make a good impression. And now we might think, well, how can you make a good impression with circumcision? There's clothes in the way. It's such a private thing. But actually, we've got to remember that this was a society where lots of things were done in the nude. So bathing was often done in public in big kind of shared bathing houses. Exercise and sport was done in the nude. And so they actually saw each other naked quite a lot. And so circumcision shouted to the Jews that you belong. It impressed them. And the Judaizers loved that. They loved being able to impress other people by the externals. Why? Well, we see it in the second half of the verse. Have a look. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. See, they're picking the easy options. They're focusing on outward actions because they know that there's persecution and difficulty the other way. Now, of course, there's some pain involved in circumcision, but it's comparatively quick and easy, and then it's done with. But the life of following Jesus is a life of persecution. It's a life of denying ourselves and taking up our cross. And these guys don't want that. The question is, well, why is there persecution to those who follow Jesus? Well, it's because the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, essentially says, you are not good enough. You cannot save yourselves. And that is insulting. As humans, we don't like that. We saw that illustrated well in the kids' talk before. 
But this week I heard about Ronald Reagan. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was a famous American president. And he was actually a lifesaver when he was a younger man. And he was involved in saving the lives of 77 people as a lifesaver. And do you know what he recounts? In his memoirs, he talks about how actually many of those 77 people that he saved were angry at him for saving them. They said, why did you save me? I didn't need you to save me. I could have got out of that tide myself. Why did you save me for? That's quite incredible, isn't it? They were angry that someone else would save them. But that's the way it is. It's a blow to our pride to need someone else to save us. And that's why there's persecution for those who insist on the cross of Christ. Because it's a message that says you are incapable of saving yourself. You need Jesus. See, the world's happy enough for Christianity when it's palatable. Give to the poor. Be kind to others. Love your enemies. But as soon as you get into sin and judgment and the need for Jesus to die for us, that's when the ire comes. That's when the scorning and the scoffing and the sneering comes. That's when the persecution comes. And these Judaizers, they don't want that. They want things easy. And so they boast in themselves and their actions because there's no persecution in that. They boast in their own outward acts rather than the salvation found only in Jesus. See, it's all to avoid persecution. It's not about salvation at all. And we actually see that as it continues. Did you notice that? We see that even they don't obey all of the law. Have a look at verse 13. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. See, if they truly thought that the law could save then they would obey it. They would keep it. But they don't. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They pick and choose which bits of it they'll obey. And isn't that what every single person that tries to work for their salvation is like? Isn't that what every single person who has religious laws is like? I mean, think about strict Muslims. Uh, They need to pray five times a day, They need to act in certain moral ways. They need to abstain from certain actions and behaviours. And many of them do. But not perfectly. Not in the way that's expected of them. Even the best of them might miss a prayer session here or break a commandment there. Or what about extremely religious Presbyterians? It's all about attending church and keeping a religious exterior and not swearing or drinking or gambling or whatever it might be. But inside, they don't do it perfectly. They skip a service here or there. They lose their temper sometimes or they act in ways they shouldn't. See, no matter how much we might try, we know that we can't keep laws perfectly. Even if we want to, we're going to slip up. And so for these Judaizers here, it wasn't really an issue of salvation. They wanted to boast in the flesh because there's no persecution in that. They want to be able to boast in their outward things, in themselves and their own actions. And it's worth us pausing and thinking and reflecting because it's so easy for us to fall into the same temptation, to boast in ourselves and in our actions. 
But of course, it doesn't quite take the same form today for us that it did for them, because in God's kindness, the gospel won. Circumcision, the issue that's going on here, isn't really an issue today. The gospel won. But nevertheless, the human heart has not changed. And so we need to reflect, what is it that is our circumcision? What good thing is it that we're tempted to turn into a salvation thing? Because you've got to remember, circumcision was originally a good thing, but it was lifted up too high. Have you noticed that about the book of Galatians as we've been working through it? Paul doesn't primarily speak against things that are obviously sinful. He doesn't speak too much against sexual immorality or lying or stealing. He does a little bit in chapter 5, but that's really the only place. Rather, what he speaks about in Galatians is the warning against taking good things and lifting them too high. Because when a good thing is made a vital thing, it becomes an enslaving thing. Did you catch that? Let me uh, repeat that so you can hear it. When a good thing becomes a vital thing, then it's made an enslaving thing. And so what good thing is it that we're tempted to lift up and make into a vital thing and last into an enslaving thing? Well, how about serving? Uh, Here at St. Stephen's, we love you to be involved in serving. Uh, We want you all to be involved in serving at church in some way. Why? Well, because serving is a good thing. It's part of what it looks like to be part of God's people. But even a good thing like that, if lifted too high, if we think that that is what pleases God, or that if I'm not serving, that is God will be displeased at me. If that's what we do with even a good thing like that, then it's become an enslaving thing. Ultimately, we're boasting in ourselves and our actions. What about reading our Bible? Again, that's a good thing or a great thing. But if we lift it and make it a vital thing, then it becomes an enslaving thing. And we end up boasting in ourselves and our actions. And it's the same with being growth group leaders, inviting people along to evangelistic events, serving at kids' church, whatever it might be. There are so many ways that we can fall into the same thing that's happening here, making a good thing into a vital thing. And thus, an enslaving thing. And when we do that, we're really just boasting in ourselves and our actions. And so that's the first, first tip for how to be a better boaster. Boast less in yourself and in your actions. And then the second tip is this. Boast more in Christ and his death. That's what Paul does. Have a look at verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ Now, living in the Western world, 21st century, I think we've lost some of the shockingness of that statement. Uh, We've beautified and gentrified the cross. Uh, People wear it on a nice golden necklace around their neck, or they have a lapel on their sleeve. It might be on the logos of schools and of churches, and it's quite a respectable symbol. But in those times, it was disgusting. Uh, You don't talk about a cross Perhaps because it was, a, it was a tool of torture. It was a tool of death. Perhaps a little bit like a lethal injection or an electric chair. For the Romans, it was a sign of being outcast from society. And for the Jews, it was a sign of being cursed by God. 
So Jesus hung on that cross, naked, ashamed, dying, cut off from society, and seemingly abandoned by God. And yet, that's what Paul boasts in. Why? Well, we see it in the second half of verse 14. Have a look. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. See, it's because through the cross, the world has died to Paul, and Paul has died to the world. But of course, the question is, well, what does that mean? What does Paul mean here by the world? Imagine if you were out the back today, and you were at kids' church, and one of the kids asked you, what does it, Paul, mean here by the world? What would you say? How would you answer them? Well, I had a bit of a think about that, and uh, this is how I think I'd explain it. The world here, the term the world, has two meanings, two uh, meanings at the same time. And as such, I'd have uh, two sets of cards. On one, uh, I would write, I have. And we'd get all of the kids at Kids Church, and we'd uh, brainstorm, and we'd write on this card, I have, and list the different sins we've done. I have disobeyed my parents. I have got angry at my siblings. I've told a lie. We'd list them all out and we'd put on this card all the different sins we've done. Because I think that's the first meaning that Paul has for the world. All of our fleshly, sinful things we've done. Uh, then there is a second meaning though. So we'd, we'd get an, another card. And on it we'd write, To be saved, I must. And then we'd list all of the things that we're tempted to think we must do to be saved. Now, uh, they're well taught at Kids Church, so I know they'd say, to be saved, I must believe in Jesus, so good work to the kids. But if we really worked at it, and we kept working, I think we could come to things that, even if we know it's not quite right, we're tempted to feel inside. To be saved, I must read my Bible. To be saved, I must go to church. To be saved, I must pay attention in Kids Church. Because that's the second meaning that Paul's got here for the world. It's the religious ways of the world. Or as he calls them in Galatians 4 verse 9, he says, the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. And so those are the two meanings here for the world. Our sins and the way the world says we can be saved. And we'd get those two sets of cards and then we'd get a uh, cross-shaped box. Now, I went to buy this. I went to Spotlight to look for a cross-shaped box. They didn't have one. I just had to make my own. It took longer than I expected it would. But we'd take a box. And what we'd do is we'd get those two cards and we'd put them in the box. All of the sins we've done, in the box. All of the ways the world says we can be saved, in the box. Representing Christ. And what we'd do is we'd go out to the car park and we'd dig a hole and we'd bury the box in the car park, and then we'd hope we didn't make a pothole. But I think that's what Paul is talking about when he says the world has been crucified, all of our sins done away with, all of the way the world says we can be saved done away with. And that is why Paul boasts in Jesus and in his death, because that is what saves us. That is what does away with all of our sin and what the world claims See, it's not about what we do in the flesh, because ultimately the flesh doesn't matter. It's what Paul continues with. Look at verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. 
So what counts is not our flesh. That doesn't matter either way. Rather, it's the internal, the new creation, being part of Jesus' spiritual family. And how do we get that? Well, through the cross of Christ. And so that's why Paul will boast more and more in Christ and in his death. Because it's the ultimate sign of ultimate belonging. It's the definitive act of definitive inclusion. But only for those who trust in Christ and in his death. And so for any who have, then there's peace and there's mercy. Verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Now that term, Israel of God, I think that's part of Paul's point here. Uh, The Judaizers were saying that to truly become part of Israel, part of God's family, part of God's people, you had to do these externals. But Paul said, no, 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 to truly be part of Israel, to truly be part of God's people, it's all about the internal. Circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter, but simply the cross of Christ. And that is worth boasting in. Not because we've done anything, but because we haven't done anything. And then Paul closes by saying, essentially, check out my body. Uh, These are the scars of persecution to prove that I'm genuine. Have a look at verse 17. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And you can just imagine, Paul must have been covered in scars He's been beaten and flogged. He's been stoned and abused. He's been shipwrecked. He's been pummeled by sickness. He's been hungry and homeless. All because of his faith. See, these others may not walk the walk. They might want to avoid persecution, but not so Paul. Paul walks the walk as well as talking the talk. And so it is worth us just reflecting What are our scars? What are the costs we've bared for being a Christian? Now, they might not be big ones. They might not look the same as what it has for Paul. But it's worth reflecting. What are they? Maybe it's lost relationships. Uh, Our sharing of the cross of Christ has offended some. And now they no longer want anything to do with us. Or maybe it's lost opportunities at work. Uh, We won't stay overtime because we want to get home and go to growth group. Maybe it's financial. We give to church and missionaries, and so that means less disposable income for ourselves. Or maybe it's something else. But it's worth reflecting, what are our scars? And if we can't think of anything, then it's worth reflecting, have I been public enough? Do I truly boast in Christ and his death? Or am I sometimes quiet about it? And so how do we become better boasters? Well, Paul tells us, boast less in yourself and your actions and boast more in Christ and his death. And so I have to ask you then, who do you boast in? What do you boast in? Now, that can be a hard question to reflect on. It can be a hard question to, to answer. So uh, let me share with you how we, uh, how we talk with the youth about this. At least once a year at Yoshi, every year, uh, the, uh, one leader will sit down with one youth and we'll ask them, If you were to die tonight and you were to meet God at the pearly gates and he was to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? It's a great question because it gets gets us to think, what is my security in? See, if I were to answer that question, well, God, you should let me in 
because I've gone to church my whole life, thousands of times, then actually I'm boasting in myself and in my actions. If I were to say to God, well, God, you should let me in because I served you so well. I led a, a growth group. I have helped at kids' church. I looked after new people at church. I've spent my whole life serving you. If I were to say that, then actually I'm boasting in myself and in my actions. And for me personally, uh, this is something I need to keep uh, reminding myself that I'm not saved because I'm a minister. I spend my whole whole each day, every week, uh, serving God. And so it's easy to slip into this temptation, to think that somehow that contributes a bit, but it doesn't. And if we think it does, then we're boasting in ourselves and in our actions. Or if I was to get to the gate and God was to ask, and I was to say, well, God, you should let me in because I read my Bible and I prayed every single day. I never missed a day. If I were to do that, then I'm actually boasting in myself and in my actions. See, if I answer anything other than because of Jesus and his death, then I'm boasting in myself and in my actions. And can I say, as one of your pastors, that uh, praise God that for so many of you here, that your answer would be just that, because of Christ and his death. I praise God that so many of you don't boast in yourself and in your actions, but rather do boast in Christ and his death. As I, as I look out now, and as I see you sitting here, I can see people who have known that for 60, 70 years, who have boasted in Christ for decades and decades and decades. And praise God for that. And may that continue. But we do need to be on guard. Because the human heart is so sinful. It can so easily take good things and turn them into vital things. And so guard your heart. And keep your eyes set on Christ and his death, not on ourselves and our works. And as I close, let me share with you about Billy Graham. I suspect many of you might have heard of him, but if you haven't, Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen. In fact, I suspect that he's preached the gospel to more people than anyone else in human history. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. In fact, he actually came to Melbourne and he spoke at the MCG and he still currently holds the record for the highest attendance at the MCG. 130,000 people went to the MCG to hear Billy Graham preach. And actually, it's on the MCG website. It's quite amusing that it's not by a sports, sporting event, it's actually by a Christian event. And if ever anyone had reason to boast in themselves, and in their actions, it's Billy Graham. Preach the gospel to more people than anyone else in history. If anyone thought that they'd earned a spot in heaven, surely it would be him. Uh, but this is, this is what he said. Oh. So he said this, uh, There were a few times where I thought I was dying, and I saw my whole life come before me. I didn't say to the Lord, I'm a preacher, and I've preached to many people. I said, oh Lord, I'm a sinner and still need your forgiveness. I still need the cross. See, if anyone could have pointed to their own works and boasted in that, then it's him. Preach the gospel to millions of people. And yet what does he say? I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And that's boasting in Christ and his death. Uh, sadly, though, when he died, this was a cartoon that was uh, 
posted in the newspaper. Uh, Billy Graham arriving at the gates of heaven and millions of people here want to thank you. But it's so wrong. Those millions of people don't want to thank Billy Graham at all. They want to thank Jesus. They're in heaven not because of Billy Graham. They're in heaven because of Jesus. And so, yeah, I, I saw that. I was like, oh, that's so sad. It's, so, it's missed it so much. It's not about what Billy Graham's done. It's about what Jesus has done. And if it's good enough for Billy Graham to say that, a man who's preached the gospel to millions of people, if it's good enough for Peter and Stephen and Paul, these incredible early pillars of the church, if it's good enough for them to boast in Jesus and in Jesus' death, then really, how can we do anything better? Are we better than Paul? Are we better than Peter? Are we better than Stephen? Of course not. We're just as sinful as they. We're just in as big a need for Christ and his death as they are. And so do you want to be a better boaster? Well, boast then only in Christ and in his death. Boast in the one who died for you so that you might be saved. I'm going to pray that God would ask it and would help us do that, please. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came and lived the perfect life we don't. That he then died the death we deserve to die. And then he rose triumphant over death, all so that we might live. And we thank you that in the cross of Christ, the world has been killed, has been crucified to us. All of our sin washed clean. All of the religious actions of this world washed away. Uh, may we cling and boast only in him. Uh, please protect our hearts. We do confess we're uh, so sinful. We uh, find it so easy to take good things and make them vital things and thus be enslaved by them. Uh, would you protect us? Would you help us be on guard against that? And would you help us to cling, look and boast only in Christ and in his cross? We pray this in his name. Amen.